Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I'm honored to, to spend my life around with some of the best people in the world. Um, and one of which I want to talk to you guys this morning about my two best friends in the world. One of them, you, you may have recollected that I talked about a tubing story a few weeks ago where we like literally did four somersaults in the water before we splashed down. One of those is on the tube with me, but the other one, his name is Jimmy. And if you are a Friends watcher, uh, my wife and I have narrowed us down to, if you look at the guys of Friends, there's Ross, Chandler, and Joey. I am Ross in all kinds of ways. Jake, my best friend, is, is, is Chandler. And Jimmy is 100% Joey. 100%. Like, I love the man to death, but he is Joey. And so um, you can take that picture down really quick because uh, these two friends, while I love them to death, I'm such good friends with them that they know my, my, my button push in a really, really big way. And we get into a prank war frequently because we were roommates in college. And so here we were, sophomore year of college. Earlier on this semester, they thought it would be really funny because they know I stress out about my grades. I was always a high uh, overachiever. I cared about my grades. So the night before midterms, they thought it would be funny while I was in the library to strip all the sheets off my bed, hide them, and God knows where. I still, to this day, have no idea where they were. So when I came back at 1 o'clock to go to bed to get up for my 8.30 midterm, I had no sheets on my bed. And they just sat there and giggled. You don't have your sheets. Okay, funny. That's awesome. Like, where are my sheets? I don't know. No, for real, where are my sheets? I don't know. I stormed out of there. I came back three minutes later. My bed was made. It was just miraculous. It was awesome how that happened. But then a few weeks later, after I kind of, you know, got back at them, they decided to one-up me. And that day, we were walking back from class in the afternoon. It was, it was around January. And so I think the wind chill that day was roughly 15 below. So cold. And if you know me, I'm a freeze baby. I get so cold so fast. And so I was complaining about being cold. And so that night, I had to go to youth group. I was a volunteer at a church, so I left campus around 3.30 in the afternoon. And about 6.30, I got a text as youth group was starting saying, Hey, D, when are you going to be back from youth group tonight? They never ask me that. They never care where I am. So I thought, this is weird. Maybe they're, like, doing something fun tonight. It's going to be great. So I, I texted them. And so uh, I said, hey, I'll be back at around 8 o'clock, 8.30. Get to my dorm. Turn the key in the door. Open the dorm room. And I am greeted with literal snowflakes and a gust of cold air coming at me. I come over to our futon where my two best friends in the world are sitting like this. When I left campus at 3.30, they had taken all four of our windows. It couldn't have been more than 40 degrees in our room. And they just sat there with this smug little smirk on their face. They're literally wearing coats and hats and blankets just to stay warm because the room was so cold in there. Can I tell you, I wasn't super happy because it took the whole night to warm back up. I think I literally slept in like three pairs of sweatpants because it was so cold in our room. And they thought it was the funniest thing. Who's got that friend that just like does the stupidest stuff all for the sake of a prank? 
Most of you are that friend. You realize that? Like, you are that friend. And so here's what I will say. Um, I've never been a woman, and so I can't speak for women in the room. However, here's what I will say. Guys, when we put our mind to something, it gets done one way or another. Even if it's off the wall, even if it's crazy, especially if it's stupid, it's getting done. Like this, okay? One more trail. I was just in my notes, but this is what happens sometimes when I get talking about my friends. There was one time when a prank war had escalated so badly that one friend had to, you know, the repercussion was he peed in a bottle, took the cap off, leaned it up against our door like this, and then knocked on our door and opened the door. So as soon as we opened the door, he on our feet. So today I'm going to talk about how to find better friends. We have those friends, those ones that like, like they can royally tick us off. They can royally make us mad. We have those friends that like when push comes to shove, those friends are like in. Like they are ready to back you up. I don't care what happened. I don't care what the facts are. If you're going to war, buddy, I'm jumping in the front seat with you. We have those types of friends. And as we talk about campfire stories this week, I have a, I, uh, a story in the Bible that has a lot of those undertones. The tones of just that faithfulness, that loyalty, that, that crazy idea type of deal. And so if you're visiting with us or if you weren't here last week, we kicked off a series called Campfire Stories where we just talk about different stories in the Bible that kind of have like that campfire feel. Like when you're sitting around a fire in the summer and you're sharing stories, that same kind of feel here. And so this morning, if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to Mark chapter 2. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, there's no guilt. There's no, people are like, why don't you bring your Bibles? Quite frankly, I don't bring my Bible to church when I go visit. So no shame. It's up on the screen. I'm excited for today. You guys ready? Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Jesus, again, is coming back to this place called Capernaum. He had been there before, and because of his first time to Capernaum, he kind of had a reputation, a good one. The first time Jesus came to Capernaum, there was a guy who was, who was full of a bunch of demons, and like he was just, it was a really graphic story about this guy's like flailing on the ground, and Jesus comes and prays from the demons, leave him, and he has all the people in the world crazy stories. There's another man in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus um, is, is, is walking through this place called Capernaum. And all of a sudden, there's a guy who comes up to him and says, hey, like, will you heal me? And this man was a leper. If you're not familiar with the leper is, back in Old Testament times, if you had this disease called leprosy, it literally was a disease that, like, your flesh away from your bones. Nasty. It's, it, it's, very, like, it, it's very gross. It's very disgusting. And the cultural idea was if you touched a leper, you're going to get this disease. You're going to become, like, nasty. Gross. So lepers were actually, like, ostracized from community. They were taken outside of the city gates. They were left there by themselves for, for nobody to interact with them. And so this man comes up to Jesus and says, hey, like, I know you can heal me. I've heard you heal people. I know you can. And if you're willing, will you please heal me? 
And Jesus says, I am willing. And he prays for him. The disease right in front of their eyes starts to just like heal itself. Crazy, crazy story. And so you might imagine that because of this, people, it's a small town, all right? This is a small area. Word spread, just like St. Francis. It's awesome. Word spreads. And they see Jesus, this man named Jesus from Nazareth, he can heal. We just watched the leper literally get healed right before our eyes. He had a reputation. So in Mark chapter 2, it says, again, he came back, and people flocked to him. That, that's why. All of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, my mother has a limp. Will you heal her? Hey, my brother is, is sick, and he's dying. Will you heal him? All of a sudden, it became like this clinic of like, please heal, please heal, please heal. And so we find here in a little house, Mark chapter 2, where he's sitting there in this in this time, these houses could fit about 50 people in them. And so Jesus at the center of this house, the house is so full that people literally are outside of the doorway just watching. They were desperate. They were ready to hear what he had to say. And here come our boys. Here come my best friends, Jake and Jimmy, if they were alive in 25 AD. Verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. Let me paint this picture for you, okay? Given the context of my friend. These buddies, these four guys, have their friend who is paralyzed. He can't walk, he can't sit can't get up. He literally just has to lay around and have people feed him, do all this different stuff. So here they hear, hey, this man named Jesus is back in town. Dude, what if we got you to Jesus and he prayed for you and you got up and walked? Wouldn't that be sweet? Sure. I can imagine the paralytic going, okay, fine. I'll give it a go. I'm paralyzed. I don't see how this could work, but we'll give it a go. So these four buddies get this guy on a mat. They're carrying him down the streets, through the neighborhoods, all through the stuff, and they get to the house, and this house is so full that they can't even get him in the door. People are outside of the door. It's packed. It's crazy. They can't get in there. Here's where the friends have an idea. Dude, I have an idea. Hear me out. What if we brought you to the roof, bashed a hole in the top, and then lowers you down. Hear me out. It could work. Those words right there, there's a fine line. It could work between something being really epic or really dumb. And dudes, we live on that line a lot of times. You win some, you lose some. But when the words, it could work, come out of your mouth, more often than not, you're about to do something really crazy. Sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't. But here they are saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to get you Jesus. So they hoof him up their stairs up to the roof. They grab this man. They, I can just imagine the struggle, trying to like hoof this guy up the stairs. They get there. Jesus is literally in the middle of this house, reaching to a bunch of people. There's got to be 100, 150 people in this one small vicinity, about half the size of this room right now. 
And all of a sudden, they hear a massive crashing noise above them. The roofs of this time were made of clay, wood, sticks. So all of a sudden, there's a noise. There's crap falling from the ceiling. There's sunlight coming through the roof. You see a bunch of hands kind of pulling up the roof. I can imagine everyone going, what the heck is going on? Like, this makes no sense. And so, here we are. They're sitting here. They're, they're, they're making their way. And they begin to lower the man through the ceiling. You guys were stubborn. I can't imagine the physical exertion that had to have happened to get this to the roof. Carrying the man alone had to have been super, super tiring. Not to mention busting a hole in the roof would have been tough. Financially, um, he's now got to, you know, pay for this guy's roof, right? Like, we're thankful to have people in our church who do really good hail work. But this is like one of those things where someone's got to pay for the roof, but they didn't care at that moment. They wanted to get him through the roof. There had to have been the emotional toil of going, is this going to work? Is this, is Jesus going to actually heal him? Because I don't know if it's possible. Yeah, we heard this guy got healed. Yeah, we heard that this happened. But what if this doesn't work? What if? The social cues alone. I am notorious for putting my foot in the mouth and doing like the worst thing at the worst time in a bunch, around a bunch of people. These guys one up me. Because Jesus is literally preaching, talking, teaching, and these guys are just like going reckless Donkey Kong on top of them. They didn't care. They did not care about any of that because they literally made it a point to get him to Jesus. They interrupted all of that. And so I find it so interesting that they did all of this because everything in their pastor told them not to do it. There were so many things, so many reasons why they shouldn't have done what they did. The physical, the spiritual, the emotional, all this different stuff. But they didn't care because they had to get their friend to Jesus because they believed with every ounce of their being that Jesus could heal his friend. They didn't care what it cost. Sorry, you hate cost this. They did not care what it cost because the upside possibility of, of their friend being healed was worth any repercussions they'd have. They had to get their friend. I want, I want you to see what Jesus' response here is. I think it's so interesting, so countercultural to what Jesus could and could have done. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Cool. Awesome, right? Like, I, 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 if, if we're being honest in this room, if you're paralyzed, if you're just needing something from Jesus, a healing, something physical, and you go through all of this work, you put all of this stuff in there, and you get lowered down, and you sit there, he looks you in the eyes and says, hey, uh, you're forgiven. I'd be like, I'll take the healing instead, but thanks. Because that's what you're there for. That's what they wanted to have done. That's the whole reason they did what they did, because they wanted their friend to get up and walk again. But Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven after he saw their faith. He saw their desperation. 
prompted him to move. Before I get into the rest of the story, because the rest of the story is probably the best part, I think it's super important to understand that desperation will naturally rearrange your priorities in life. When you are desperate, when you have something that is so pressing and so intense, you will naturally realign your priorities in life. It's the reason why this guy who has got a $1,000 iPhone, a $500 watch, super nice clothes, will plunge himself into a lake or a pool without even thinking about if his kid steps in and is drowning, right? You don't care about your watch. You don't care about your phone. You don't care about your clothes. You care way more about your kid drowning. Like, if your kid's drowning and you're saying, hold on, quick, one second. Like, like you're not doing that. You don't have time for that. It's the same way how I, I've seen people jump into caring for their elderly sibling, their elderly parent, having to miss work, having to do things because they physically need to be there for their person that they care about. I've seen people say, you know what? I don't want to go to counseling. I don't want to do this. But because I'm desperate, because I want to save myself, to save my marriage, I'm just willing to go through this. When you are desperate for something, you are willing to do whatever it takes. You're willing to go to the nth degree to make sure it can happen. Because in that moment, all your other needs are superseded by the one that you really, really care about. You need that one thing. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I went through all of this work. You made it possible to get your friend to my faith. He saw their faith and said, you are forgiven. Cool. Let's read on. I'm not going to have the verses up here, but basically verses 6 and 7. All, while all this is happening, the religious the Pharisees who really hate Jesus, by the way, start to be like, this guy. Here he is sitting here saying he can forgive people of their sin. Only God can do that. As if we needed more reason to hate this man. And now we're sitting here and he's saying he can forgive people? Absolutely not. There's no shot. Here's the best part of the story. You guys ready for the, for the, for the ending? This is the best part about the story. Verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Jesus throws down the gauntlet right here with these, with these doubters and says, all right, here's the deal. You know how much easier it would be for me to say their sins are forgiven? Why? Because you can't prove it. You can't prove that all of a sudden, hey, you're forgiven now. There's no tangible thing. In reality, forgiving sins is way more difficult to do than healing somebody. But Jesus is sitting here and going, you guys are doubting that I can forgive sins. You doubt that I have the power to do that. So check this out. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12. So crazy. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like 
So many times when we read the Bible, we hear these cool stories, and it's like, oh, that's awesome. But if we are being very transparent and very real, if we saw someone in this church who was paralyzed, and if Jesus was somehow able to be here in the flesh and prayed for them, and they got up and walked away, we would be dumbfounded. This man literally couldn't walk. He literally couldn't move, and here he is. Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And this man gets up and walks. It's a true, true miracle that we can't possibly look over. We can't possibly ignore it. But in the, I, what I find so interesting is in this whole room of people, I can imagine the tenseness that probably happened. The tensity in the room as people are watching all this going on, is this going to actually work? Is this going to happen? Skeptics in the room are sitting there. saying he can't make it. You have skeptics in the room here. Oh, they staged that. I bet he could walk before then. Doctors in the room would be like, I don't understand how this is possible. There's got to be some explanation for it. Family members would be going crazy. It's like, yeah, he's healed. It's awesome. But Jesus has the ability to do impossible things. He healed the leper. He exercised. He did all this stuff. But we find that the Bible says Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. Which means God who could heal the leper, exercise the demons, heal this paralyzed man is the same God who can do the very same things in our life. He can heal the anxiety in our heart. He can heal the depression in our mind. He can do physical things. He can heal people's bodies. He can do crazy different things. He can do impossible things. Save marriages, bring finances, restore relationships. He can do impossible things that we can't possibly imagine. But here's what I find is so interesting. He can and will move in our lives. He can do all of that stuff. It's why we sing. It's why we worship. It's why we pray. It's why we come to church. Miracles are his business. He's doing it often. But here's what I find is so cool is that the miracle came after the forgiveness. Jesus said, hey, I know you need a miracle. I know you need to get healed. But it's more important that you are forgiven first. Jesus forgave the man and then healed him. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he go through all of this? Clearly, he saw the man's deepest need. Clearly, that was the most pressing thing that would have wowed everybody. But while this story encapsulates and shows Jesus' ability to heal and do miraculous I believe this story more than anything shows his heart. Jesus' heart for people. If he would have just healed the man, said, hey, love you, go, you're healed. Then would have got up, walked away, and might have never come back. Hey, cool, thanks. But when he looked him in the eyes, he said, son, that's not like a young son. That's not like a sunny boy type of demeaning younger thing. This is like, son, you are a son of God. Hey, I you're forgiven. It shows his heart because before Jesus gave him what he wanted, he gave him before he gave him the ability to walk on his own feet, he 
granted him forgiveness from sin. He was pardoned from the things that were tearing him down. He was given a fresh start to life before he walked. It's so important to understand because he gave him the freedom to live a life of person. Without, without this forgiveness, without Jesus saying, before you're healed, hey, you're forgiven. Without all of that, Jesus would have been able to give this man the ability to walk, but he lived his entire life and went to hell. Without the forgiveness of Jesus, he might have been able to walk, but he'd been walking around with the guilt and the shame that he's been feeling for so long. Without the intimate forgiveness of Jesus, this man might have been able to walk, but he wouldn't have known the compassion, the intentionality, the love, and the care that Jesus has for him. Without this forgiveness, the man may have been free to walk, but he would not be walking in freedom. It's so important for us to understand the priority based upon the order. There's a reason forgave him first and then healed him because he's showing him, hey, I will give you what you want, what you need in your life on this earth. But your heart and your soul are so much more important. So much more important. I want you to spend your eternity with me. When you die one day, I don't want that to be the end of it. I want you to be near and dear to me in heaven. And the only way you can do that is to believe in me. I want to forgive your sins and show that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, this applies to everybody. That forgiveness is critical. Here's what happens. We often come to God with our desperation. We come to God saying, God, I need this. Every single person in this room, I'm firmly convinced of this right now, you have a need that is something you really, 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 really wish God would answer a prayer in your life. Maybe it's for purpose. Maybe it's to be able to get through to your kids. Maybe it's for healing physically. Maybe it's financially. You need God to move because you're, not, you're short on your bills. Whatever it is, we all have needs that we're like, God, if you can answer that, that would be awesome. And we come to him and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, crying out to God to answer our needs. He can and he will. But I think we fail to see that God's actually the one who's desperate for us. God's the one who's desperately trying to get our attention because he wants to be a part of our life. Last week, we talked about Abraham and how Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son. And at the last moment, God spared him and said, no, no, you don't have to do that. God didn't have that luxury. He gave his son this so that we have freedom. He gave up what was most dear to him because he wanted us to come close to him. I love what Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, might be in the screen, might be not, but Jesus is speaking this. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In the context in which he spoke this, he's talking to a bunch of people who grew up around Pharisees and religious people saying, you're not good enough. You're going to hell. You did all this wrong stuff. You're living in sin. You're doing all this wrong stuff. You're messed up, and you're going to just spend eternity away from God. That's exhausting. It's exhausting to think you have to perform for God. It's exhausting to feel like you're not good enough no matter what you do. But Jesus is coming and saying, come to me, all of you who are tired and wearied of that junky way of thinking, and come to me. Because if you just believe in me and ask for my forgiveness and accept me, you're good. 
covered to spend eternity with heaven. This story is about the heart of Jesus. He's not content to give us what we want. Close intent with him. That's why he does what he does. And it's why he gives us the things that we because he wants to be able to trust in him. But this week I got to see this this very same idea come to fruition. This same idea of a heart. Because here's what I will say. I got to spend we have a picture of the whole camp back there, guys. Sometimes I say I'm going to church camp, it feels like we're going to have tents. Picture a little blurry, I'm sorry. But there was over 800 kids in this sanctuary at one time. A lot of kids. I think I lost some hearing this week because I was one of the hype guys on stage saying, are you guys ready to go? And that might be shocking to some of you that I'd be that kind of guy. But when you have 800 kids screaming at the top of their lungs, it is literally deafening. Crazy. And they had so much fun. We had like 80-some thousand gallons of water on slippery tarps and mud pits. And there, there was the blob and all the fun stuff that we think about summer camp. But here's when I think about this story. When I think about my experience at camp, I think more of the stories and situations in which kids worshiping at the altar. As cool as it is to hear 800 kids yelling at the top of their lungs, the coolest thing is when there's 800 kids talking about Jesus and worshiping Jesus together. The coolest part about the whole week was when the worship team was singing and doing all their stuff, and all of a sudden they just killed all of their voices and all the instruments and the kids just sang the chorus. And it echoed in there as they're just talking about how good Jesus is. One of my favorite situations of camp was there was a student there who I haven't seen him in a while. I don't know what life's taken him, I just haven't seen him in a long time. And on the Second night, I'm sitting in the back. I walked in a little bit later, and he's off by himself back in the back. He's just like, I can just tell why God's doing his life. This is a kid who's very stoic, very composed in the back. One hand raised, like crying. So after worship was over, before we jumped into the mess, I just went over there and kind of like gave him like a side hug. And again, this kid is like, like bigger than me. It doesn't take a whole lot, but like, I wrap my arm around this kid, just kind of just holding him. And with that, he turns around, bear hugs me. I'm like, Ugh! you good, man? You know, like I'm, I'm making sure like, but he goes like, thank you so much for bringing me here. Like, I've missed this. I've missed this. He wasn't talking about dance. He wasn't talking about worship. He wasn't talking about the side hug from his favorite youth pastor in the world. He was talking about the feeling of sense and knowing. That what he was feeling. Now, first time in maybe a while, you know what? I'm feeling And it's good. Another cool moment I want to show you doesn't necessarily pertain to my message, but. There's a picture of the kids praying. The kids got in a circle, and one by one they went into this in the middle. And the Bible talks about the importance of laying on of When Jesus would do his miracles, he'd lay a hand on somebody and pray. And it's not that there was something crazy about the technique, but there's something powerful about human interaction. 
God just moving. Another story, probably one of the highlights of the entire year for me. One student we are praying for. I have not hardly got anything from a reaction from this one ever. And as we're praying in this circle, we talk about the Holy Spirit being real. As I'm praying for this, God just starts beginning to drop my heart and my mind. This is pray for my kid. And as I'm praying out loud, this, this unbreakable, so what person begins to cry. Boys don't cry, all right? At least we try not to in front of people. But I could tell what we were praying for. I could tell right then and there that God was reading his mail. There were things that he was worried about, things that were dragging him down, that as we prayed for him, only God would have known what we were praying for for this kid. And as we began to do that, he began to understand, began to realize that God sees him, God knows him, God's with him, and he's going to walk out of this place different. The reason why I love going to camp, the reason I love taking our kids there year after year after year is because it always reminds me of the why. Like we need things from God and we can teach the kids how to pray. We can teach the kids how to ask God for things and how to begin to just go to church with their families and grow up being a, being a Christian. We can teach them that. But we can't teach them what it's like to experience God. Only they can experience that and have that experience and come back to it. You can't teach it. You can't fabricate. You can't manifest a moment where you know God is real, God is there with you, God is speaking to you, and God sees you. You can't manifest that. No amount of insider information, no amount of anything could do that. But when you do it, it's undeniable. And the reason I love going to camp is because the kids get to experience it. When they get five days away from their phones, five days away from their friend drama, five days away from stressful stuff at home, they can focus on receiving God. Change inside out. Powerful. Our leaders walked away saying, I grew Watching teenagers go after God. Change me. Our leaders are like, man, I, I'm not going to say your name because I don't want to keep confidential, but he basically was like, hey, he was nervous to pray for kids before she walked one-on-one. It's nervous. It's, it's nerve-wracking to pray out loud sometimes. He's like, I'm a counselor. I'm supposed to pray for kids. Maybe I got the wrong job here. So she asked her mom, hey, we just pray for me this week that I'd have the strength to do that. And over the week, bounced around praying for everybody. It's awesome. She walked away on Friday and said, hey, like, I grew this in my faith. Yeah what it's about. The paralytic experienced God personally when he healed. He experienced God looked him in the eyes and said, hey, you're forgiven. But here's where I think our story needs to be a little bit. I was sitting at that camp and I thought about how many people have carried my map. Without those four buddies who grabbed a part of that mat and dragged him to Jesus, that man would have never experienced God for real. Without those four guys saying, hey, I know it looks bad. I know it looks grim. I know you don't want to try something because if it doesn't work, you're going to feel that rejection again. But this might be different. I think if we got you to Jesus, it might change things. So you know what? We're going to get you there. 
sit there, hold on, grab whatever you can. We're going to pick you up and drag you to Jesus. And when we get there and the room is full, the room is crazy, it doesn't matter, buddy. We're getting you there. We're going to hoof you up the roof. We're going to bash a hole in the ceiling. We're going to lower you down with the crude ropes that we got on hand. We will get you to Jesus because we believe in our heart of hearts that it will change you and impact you. Those four friends, it was their faith and their trust that God could and wants to heal them that got that man before Jesus. Without them, he wouldn't have been able to get there. And I thought about that part of the story this week so much because as I sat there with our youth students, as I went to the altar and prayed for our youth students, as I did all the stuff that we love to do at camp, I realized without people in my life who carried my mat when I didn't know how to get to Jesus, I wouldn't have been in this spot in the first place. Without my youth pastors pouring into me, without my youth pastors telling me, Derek, you have a purpose, without my youth pastors teaching me how to go to God, teaching me about Jesus, without those youth pastors, I might not even be loving Jesus right now. I believed in God, sure, but I didn't have a relationship with him. And that's the difference. You can know about God, and you can know God, and there's a big difference. When you know God, you know yourself through his eyes. My youth pastor poured into me and taught me about who I was, but they also taught me who I was in his eyes. And it started to change how I felt about myself, felt about my situation, felt about my circumstances. My youth pastor, Kyle, and as I was getting older as a junior and senior, he taught me how to be a leader. He taught me how to serve God by leading. I think about the people who also grabbed my mat. My friends Jake and Jimmy, as much as they drive me crazy and play the stupidest pranks on me, these are also the same guys who when stuff was hitting the fan, I was lost and I was exhausted and I was torn down. I was beside myself. They wrapped me up. They gave me a bro hug in the best way that they knew how. We'd get over tough things by playing Xbox, eating Kit Kats. It's awesome. My mentors, my coaches in high school and college, my career, my pastoral friends who have taught me how to become a better pastor, a better believer, a better husband, a better dad. My wife. I'm going to brag on her for a second. hope that's okay. I think permission from this. But the amount of times that I am broken, the amount of times that I just feel like I'm feeling, the amount of times I feel like I'm not good enough, the amount that this woman prays for me, encourages me, uplifts me. You might not see much of her a lot, but can I tell you something? Without her, I would not be who I am. This woman has carried my mat so much. We need people. We need to have the same tenacity to get our friends to Jesus that these four men had. They didn't stop. There was nothing that was going to keep them from getting their friend to experience Jesus. No physical thing, no financial thing, no emotional thing, no spiritual thing. They were going to bust down that whole roof they needed to because they knew that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, it would change things. They were determined. They were desperate. They were ready to give everything they could do, physically and possibly, to get their friend to 
What if we were the same? What if we had that same heart for people that these four friends had? I got plenty of friends who don't love me. I got plenty of friends who don't even know who he is. And sometimes, because it's not always fun stuff to do, as soon as you hit that first roadblock, you're like, I'm going to back off. I'm not saying you have to hogtie these people and bring them to church. It'd be interesting to see. I will say that. But what if we got on our knees and started praying for our friends and our family members that don't know him? Prayed and prayed and prayed. What if we went out of our way to love them better? So many times we think that to, to get people to Jesus, we have to just like drag them and kidnap them and get them to church. But can I just tell you that if you just befriend somebody or you're in genuine, you'll get your opportunity. If we just love people well and practically, if we bring them things when they're going through a tough thing, if we say, hey, I'm just letting you know I'm praying for you. You don't have to sit there and convert them to Jesus. You don't have to sit there and tell them why they need to believe. You just need to love them well. And if we love them well, God's going to begin to stir. He's going to begin to do things. And all of a sudden, we're going to have an opportunity to grab that mat and bring them to Jesus. The four friends didn't have the task of healing their friend. They had the task to get them to Jesus. Jesus will work. Jesus will heal. Jesus will save. It's our job to do what we can in our power to get them to him. We don't have to do all the hard work. We'll do that. But we also have some work. We need to get them to him. My challenge for all of us to speak is twofold. We need to get to him first. We need to get to Jesus and say, you know what, God? I, I need to see you. I need to know you. Sometimes we go through the rut, we go through the motions. We do our Bible plan, we pray a little bit before bed, and then and that's good. It's awesome. The routines are fantastic, but camp is always a reset. Because I've seen God move in those kids' lives, and I'm like, you know what? You're not done moving, God. So I'm going to keep going. We need to get to his feet first. Not just with our needs, but just with understanding that we're loved and we're forgiven. But more than that, I think this week we need to Think about who in our life is laying on a mat waiting for someone to bring them. Who in our life do we know needs a touch from God that we can practically do something? Whether it's praying for them, whether it's reaching out to them and having a conversation, whether it's bringing them a meal, saying, hey, I know you're going through something, I'm here for you. Whether it's bringing them out to lunch, Asking them out to coffee. I don't know what it is. But as a church, as we get ready to jump into another school year, as we get ready to jump into new things God's doing, I challenge all of us to grab the map. Because I believe God's going to start moving and doing things in lives that we can't possibly imagine. But it's our job to make sure we're helping arrange that. That's our job. Do you pray with me this morning as we get out of here? Jesus, forgiveness is the greatest gift we have. Forgiveness that Jesus was talking about is the forgiveness that says, it doesn't matter 
if you've had one white lie in your entire life or whether you have a rap sheet of stuff you're not proud of. Jesus, Saul was a man who killed people in the Bible. A man who made it his mission to destroy the church. Yet, God, you got a hold of him and you spoke to him and said, you know what? You're forgiven. I love you. And I want you to serve me. And he writes two thirds of our New Testament. Jesus, forgiveness isn't fair. There's no reason why we should be forgiven for all the stuff we do. But God, that's what you do. You forgive us. The big things and the small things. It doesn't matter when it happened. It doesn't matter if we said, I'm never going to do it again. And we've done it 10 more times. Jesus, you forgive us. You love us. So today, whether it's the first time we're saying yes to this, or whether we have to continually say yes, I, I want to pray for those of us who say, you know what? I've messed up, but I want Jesus to be near and close to me. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you do anything because my hand will be up as well. But Jesus, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for the things that we've done and messed up? Jesus, would you help us to love you more and know you deeper? But God, as an extension of that, you've called us to go. You've called us to love others, tell them about you. So Jesus, would you help us? Give us eyes, ears to hear. Would you put people on our heart this week to pray for, people on our heart this week to love better? God, would you put people on our heart who we can do something to get them? Would you give us the boldness, the courage to stand up and do it? Give us the determination not quit. And keep on praying, keep on pursuing. Because God, you're not done. Lord, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for what you give us. We're thankful for what you do. But God, we're thankful that we have forgiveness for you. And we're thankful that you gave your son, Jesus, for us. May we live with that. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.